I am super excited about the guest today. Her name is Jennifer Cervantes, and she's a teacher at La Cumbra Junior High, and uh, she's super amazing. You know that song by Alicia Keys, Girl on Fire? Well, that song is about her. Um, she is totally on fire as a teacher and as a mom, and she does so many things in her classroom that uh, she's a very inspirational person. And when the COVID-19 pandemic happened, she really pivoted to help people, or I should say, she really pivoted to help students learn in the new environment. And uh, she's also super humble. And in this podcast, she talks about what she knows and what she doesn't know and what she's trying to learn. And all of it is with one goal in mind, which is doing the best that she can for her students. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Uh, Jennifer is one of the bright stars in education, and she's been teaching for about 11 years, and she's got a bright future ahead of her and teaching more students. So I hope you uh, enjoy this. We talk about a lot of things. We talk about her style, her passion, her vision, how she changed with the COVID-19 pandemic, her background, her upbringing, what kind of student she was, and uh, looking ahead at what's to come in the fall when classes start again. So hope you enjoy. Thank you. And as always, these podcasts are brought to you by Kiva Cowork. Thank you. Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. I'm here today with Jennifer Cervantes, teacher at La Cumbra Junior High. How are you, Jennifer? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I wanted to dive right in and talk to you about how you are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic in your classrooms. We all know that education was disrupted incredibly when this all went down in March. And I know that you've been doing a lot of amazing things to help keep students engaged and have these breakthroughs with them. And I'm hoping you can just walk me through and help us understand what are you doing in the classroom to help kids even during this time? Sure, I think initially I just really was reflective when COVID happened. I'll never forget Friday the 13th uh, <laughs> when they announced it and I was thinking, okay, this is gonna be interesting. I have my six, she was five months at that time, five months and my two-year-old. So that's gonna be interesting to teach from home with them and I've never done this before. So I'm not a remote teacher and this, I'm gonna have to learn quick. Um, but I just think one thing that served me well is I like things that are difficult. I always just like to be a problem solver and I do, I will give myself credit, I'm creative. So this massive problem that I found myself in, I really took it as a huge opportunity to be creative. So I'm like, I've never done this. This is gonna be awfully difficult. I'll try to I'll just try stuff like what an opportunity um, and it wasn't all good there was I this has been the most difficult year of teaching harder than my first year cried the most you know it's been hard I can't say that I'm doing great teaching I truly think we are doing like remote surviving um, I, I brought in a guest who it's major Brooke Cobbin she was a previous elementary school teacher assistant principal now she works in higher education and she's a major in the in the US Air Force and she described it as this is a band-aid on a gunshot wound we're just surviving and so I think that helped me because I'm like okay yes I'm not remote teaching I'm not even gonna pretend like I know what I'm doing um, and that's okay because the kids know that we don't know what we're doing we are all in this together um, so I think coming from that angle and really 
I've always viewed, viewed myself as a student first and then a teacher. And I've never been more of a student to my students than I am now. And constantly asking them via anonymous Google surveys, how is this going? I'm trying and I'll be specific. I'm trying, my goal is to get you to speak more in the breakout rooms or whatever my objectives are. Um, and they'll answer honestly, cause it's anonymous and that's how you can really get kids to speak. Um, but I learned from that cause I used to make it an, a, an assignment. so I would know who it's coming from. And once I went anonymous, I would get the best feedback for better or worse. And that really served me as a teacher because if 50% of my class was saying, you know, X, Y, Z isn't working. Okay. I'm going to fix that. Like great feedback. So I've really just taken this time to not think I'm, I, I was the first to admit I had no idea what I'm doing, but I'm willing to try and I'm willing to be creative. And I use my students, my students taught me how to teach during this crisis. And that's the truth. Now, a lot of teachers talked about the difficulties, the challenges. We're not trained for this. There's lots of barriers, of course. And if we let barriers get in the way of what we do, it can become very um, depressing. And talk to me about what you did. You just sort of like went on social media or you got these guest speakers. Help me understand what you did when you reached out to these people to bring these people into your classroom. I basically took like the first couple days to evaluate like what my students had told me in the past when I was in the classroom, what they enjoyed, which was guest speakers doing, you know, the group projects um, and these types of things. They always enjoyed being inspired by others. And I enjoyed it too, because as a teacher and now a parent, I know, and I'm okay with knowing that I could tell my students that setting goals is really important and we do it every week. And they sometimes listen to me and believe me. But when somebody else says it, they're like, oh yeah, Mr. Ronda, I think goal settings and so on, like they're teaching me. I'm like, yeah, okay, great. Like if you want to hear it from them, you know, so, and I'm fine with that. I can own that because, you know, as a teacher, they see you every day. It's like a parent. And when you hear it from that third party, they're like, oh, there's something to this because you know, person X said it wasn't my teacher or mom this time. (laughs) So I was very strategic um, in who I have three questions that I ask every guest speaker. I have a pre-interview and I learned as I went, the first one was the um, Forbes scientist. And when she answered the direct message, I reached out on Instagram because I heard her on one of my favorite podcasters. She was getting interviewed. So I randomly DM'd her and she DM'd me back direct message. And I'm like, Oh, hi Kiana. Um, this is who I am. I'm like stumbling over my words just like that. And I was just completely vulnerable and honest. I was like, I heard you on the podcast and you're so inspiring. Would you come speak to my students? And she's like, sure. Yeah. And then I was just like, I really better figure this out. I was just like building the plane in the air. I mean, I never interviewed anyone in my life. And so I asked her, I'm like, what do people ask you? I know you've been interviewed. And so she taught me. So once again, the student in me was like, what's going to work here? Because I've never done that. Like I didn't even pretend to know how to interview anybody. So she taught me how to do the, her interview and she was so gracious and helpful. And then I just developed these three questions that, um, I would get my guest speakers and I continue to say the things that I want my students to hear. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, I don't just bring them in. I'm like, tell us about your life. Like mm-hmm. I have a pre-conference with them. I tell them, I sort of guide them into a, you know, make what I want my students to hear because, and we are so lucky to have had some of the, you know, um, 
esteemed people like join my class I'm still like in shock some of these people said yes to me but I in the back of my head I'm always like they're so lucky to meet my students like you know it's but it's been a real interesting experience but yeah I just learned as I went talk to me about your background and how you got into teaching and a little bit about your credentials you obviously love teaching and you've done a lot to get to the point where you're at help us understand how you got here and what motivated you to become a teacher so funny enough, I hated school. Um, and I mean, ever since I was small, I never liked it. I was the straight A student type, but I just don't know. I had a, two teachers who inspired me. I strug- I didn't struggle in school because like the content, I, I was like a great test taker. And back in that day, it was, you know, just take the test. We were all standardized tests and I could ace the test, but I really did not like the classroom setting, if you will, and not to mention my mom was a teacher and my middle school was across the street from her elementary. So every day after school, I'd walk over there, wait for my mom to be done teaching so she can give me a ride home. And I saw every day what my mom did with kindergarten and then she taught second grade. And every day I saw that, I thought, these teachers are crazy. Like I would never do this. Uh, And then here I am doing it. (laughs) So I think just, and I dropped out of high school early um, and kind of created, I've always just, if I wanted to do something, like created the own opportunity. So as a sophomore, I went to Mexico. I like quite literally, I was like, I'm gonna learn Spanish. I was getting very bored in high school. I'm like, I'm gonna move to Mexico because that's where they speak Spanish, you know? And I remember Googling like Spanish institutes and I found this Spanish institute and I just told my parents like, this would be so great. And I somehow convinced them that I should do this. It had nothing to do with, like it wasn't an official program or like a study abroad. Like I literally Googled and found it and it was a legitimate school. But so when I was 15, I moved down there for a few months to learn Spanish. Uh, there was people attending, but they were all like in their twenties and thirties, like international students. And I was 15, like I'm ready to go. Like <laughs> it was quite an experience. And I, it really opened my eyes to just the world of travel and how other people learned. And that sort of inspired me. Um, were you terrified as a 15-year-old? No, no, I wasn't. I should have been in hindsight. I was walking to school on my own. I mean, <laughs> I probably, I'm, yeah. I, you know, you're 15. You're <clears throat> fearless. And I was always sort of fearless person. I still feel like I'm fearless because I just, what do I have to lose? Like, people can say no to me, just like these guest speakers. I could have been afraid to, you know, direct message these actresses or the Olympic um, gold, like athletes, they could have said no, they could have not answered. I had nothing to lose, they didn't know me anyway. Um, So I've always kind of had that fearless mindset that I think my dad instilled in me. You know, he was like my biggest cheerleader and fan and my three brothers as well, and my mom. So I had a very supportive family that never made me feel like I couldn't do something. And so I always just had that mindset of, well, I just give it a try and if it doesn't work, then I'll learn from it. We'll get to your background again, but just on that point, since you brought it up, how important is it for students and young people to hear you can do anything? It sounds cliched, but how important is it? I mean, you're a living testament of it. You've heard that in your own family. Talk a little bit about the power of positive motivation and reinforcement at a young age. I think it's huge. I think it is so powerful. And those of us who had people, whether it be our parents, family members, teachers, maybe it was that one person who believed in us, really could 
you know, direct our lives in a different way, one person. And that's one of the questions I ask my guest speakers. You know, I intentionally, I know my student demographic very well. I'm very aware of it. I try to teach culturally responsive, you know, to their needs. So I always have them share a time they faced adversity and how they overcame it. So I've had every speaker share that. And in my pre-interview with them, for example, Kiana Kave, the scientist, the Forbes 30 under 30, she shared how she was first generation. Nobody looked like her in science. She still walks into rooms and is like the only young female um, scientist. She talked about that there was a teacher that believed in her, how she didn't know how to navigate the college system. And so my kids are going, oh, she's kind of like me. You know, I was very intentional. Like, Kiana, did you please share that? Um, let's see. My other guest speakers, when I had the Latina actress, who's also been a keynote at Latina like empowerment um, summits rather she shared her story of growing up in LA just with her mother uh, and she shared how difficult it was she had a dream of being an actress no one in her family had done that and she just kept persevering and she talked about googling how to become an actor and found her first gig on Craigslist and just never giving up and she explained to my students how she would do things such as she she told them a story of she used to wake up at 5 a.m. and 5 a.m. in L.A. to hold a parking spot for a taco truck to make ten dollars, and just these things that maybe weren't her favorite jobs got her to pay for acting school and just like progress. So she really talked about taking adversity as an opportunity, and I think that was really inspiring and powerful for my students to hear. The lawyer, and I'm not just bringing in anybody. I've asked my students who they want, and every week I said, Are "You guys enjoying this? Like, who would you like?" And a couple of the girls wanted a lawyer. I brought in a lawyer. I made sure she talked about how she was the first gen college student when I found that out. So I really like to give my students mirrors and a mirror isn't just, they look like them, but they can connect at least on some level via adversity or some level in their life. Cause we can all connect on adversity and, and growth from it. So I feel like that's been helpful for my students. Um, those stories of the speakers. Mm -hmm. So you're in Mexico, you're 15, did you learn Spanish and you came back? So finish the story. Oh, there. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in Mexico, I learned Spanish and I'm, I'm very eager and I remember I was living with a host family, I had a room in their house and I remember I kept asking them like, when am I going to learn Spanish? Like how long is it going to take? They didn't speak English so they were like trying to tell me in Spanish. I'm, I'm going, this isn't getting anywhere, I don't even know what you're saying. But I did learn Spanish and I came back and I... Let's see, I came back as a sophomore and I went on like a homeschool program because I didn't want to go back to high school. And I started taking classes at our local community college, um, which I found fascinating because I could sign up for classes that I really liked. And then I kind of created this opportunity. This was before dual enrollment was a thing. I would like go and take a class at the college and bring it back to the counselors and say, can I get credit for this like for high school? And I did like, and now dual enrollment is a thing, but I kind of like made it up as I went. I would go in the, to the community college and just take tests. Like they had Spanish tests. And I remember this. I tested out at the college. I was like, well, can I just test out? I think I'm pretty good. I just got back from Mexico. I was feeling all confident. And I did. They're like, sure, we can. There's like an exit test. So I knocked out a couple of my first college courses just by taking a test. And then they gave me the college credit. And I took that to my high school. And I said, could I get credit for this? So I was kind of like doubling up. And so in 2005, when the graduating, my high school graduating class was graduating from high school, I was graduating my first year as a college. 
um, when I was 18, but I did go back to walk at high school so I can have that experience. Mm. Um, but then I, yeah, I was 18 with my AA and transferred down south to finish, like going to higher education. So what about your teaching credentials? As I understand it, you learned a lot really quickly and you had a bunch of credentials very young in your life. So how'd you do that? I went to, so I did my undergrad when I was 18, left Tahoe with my first two years complete. And then I attended Cal State Channel Islands to get my bachelor's in education with an emphasis in cross-cultural teaching in Spanish. And then I attended National University for my master's program, which was also a combination to get my teaching credential. My first credential was a multiple subject, so I could teach, you know, K-6, elementary ed. And I just knew, I'm like, I need plan B because I know it's hard to get a teaching job. And the student in me was like, I'm just gonna take some more tests to get more credentials. And once you have a multiple subject, when I learned I could test to get more credentials, then I studied really hard for the science uh, test to get my additional single subject in science. Same thing, I'm like, well, maybe they'll need a health teacher somewhere. Mm. I'm gonna go take that test. So I studied hard, took courses. Uh, I find value as a student. I went and take crash courses to teach you how to, you know, everything you may need to know to pass that test. So I just tested to get all my other credentials, which is the health science, the physical education, and the PE credential. And it served me well because it has helped me maintain a job in the district. Um, and it, it's just allowed me growth and change to teach various subjects. The COVID-19 pandemic has put a spotlight on the school district and the school system in a way that perhaps some of us have gotten used to, but it's sort of reminding us of the significant achievement gap that exists. We know that for a lot of families, technology is a barrier. And here we are in a situation where we have to rely on technology in order to get education. And can you talk about the achievement gap and what your experience is with, in this community, largely Latino students, and how you are able, or you're, you're attempting to try to reach them in a way that maybe some other teachers um, don't? Yeah, I think most definitely my passion has always been to help the first generation. Um, that's why I love AVID, first generation college students. And several years ago when Joanne Keynes created the PEAK program, which was a transition from La Cumbre to San Marcos, that was to help our students succeed in high school. And they have since expanded that. And so now there is PEAK um, into every, which is kind of a bridge program. So I've always loved and been passionate about helping close the achievement gap mm -hmm. by just being part of programs such as PEAK that is district-wide now, which is wonderful. So I think our school district is, they're so well aware um, and they're into the data and they see what's going on. And so they are making great efforts to close the achievement gap, but that doesn't, you know, I was very aware that these existed. Many people now are like, whoa, you know, now that the spotlight is sort of on education in, in some ways, People are really seeing it. And so, yeah, it exists. It's real. We can't even pretend there's not an achievement gap. But as, I feel like as long as the teachers, parents, the school district, the Board of Education can all work together and just communicate that what we're doing in our own realms or behind our closed doors, because we all just want what's best for students, then we can make strides. Um, I sometimes feel like, I don't know, as a teacher, I'm like, what's going on with the district? What's going on you know, with the board? And, I know they're all doing great things and we're all just trying to serve students, 
but I really look forward to more open conversations so that we can all work towards closing that achievement gap together. What are the problems from the student's perspective in terms of them accessing learning? Like, What's your sort of assessment of the students that you deal with and how they sort of envision education the currently, currently the way it's structured? Yeah, I've been getting that feedback in my Google Forms asking my students what's working well, like what is your most difficult, these questions you just asked me, I'm asking my students because I need to be aware. Uh, is it too much work you're getting? Is it? Or you just don't want to do the work? Is it you have other responsibilities at home? Is it you don't have the time, you know, the resources? And they, they have the resources. The district has the technology for our students. They've made great efforts to get everyone um, internet. And so I would say the technology piece is there because of the support and vision of our district. But I definitely think what my students have said, they are struggling with, with their at-home life balance. A lot of my students, I see them on Zoom. I've got my baby on my lap. Some of my students have their siblings on their lap. Yeah. We're all like just getting through this together. And I'm serious. It's one of my students, he's always on his bike during my class. And I'm like, cool, he's getting PE in my class at the same, you know, and, and I know, and they've told me of how hard this is, the time management, you know, their houses, they've told me this in the survey. They go, it is so loud in my house. I have two siblings trying to Zoom. So I truly feel like it is, they weren't prepared. Of course they weren't prepared no one was prepared. So just finding that stability, the time management, the space. Uh, but I think the struggle of students showing up for Zoom, physically just coming to the class, because I was thinking about this, like why wouldn't the students show their video? And, and I had so many thoughts, like it's because they don't wanna show their home or this or that. And what I've gathered and my personal opinion really boils down to, at least with my, at the junior high level, right? They're very self-conscious and I've asked them this and 70% said, I don't wanna show video because I'm embarrassed and I'm not confident. And it doesn't matter if you're, what your socioeconomic level is, if you're embarrassed, let's say, of what your bedroom looks like, or if you're the more affluent, uh, coming from a more affluent home, and you have your own bedroom and you've got the latest earbuds. The reason that that child wants to show video is the same reason a child with, you know, in low income house doesn't. They care what their peers think. That is, so I used to think, well, are they just embarrassed? It's the same reason. Everyone is just self-conscious and cares what they're for better or worse. The kid with the new earbuds wants their friends to see that because they're going to feel better about themselves. The kid who is managing two siblings doesn't want their friends to see that. They might find that embarrassing. And so I've just been learning. I'm just learning as I go. You know, I love collecting data, researching it. I used to export all the chats. I'd use that to ask my students question, you know, numerical values like one, two, three, and I'd look at all the data and then, re, you know, reevaluate my teaching. But I truly think we're all just learning and we have to do our best to learn from the end user, which is the student. What um, are the biggest lessons you're learning from your students? The biggest lessons I'm learning from my students is just to keep, I feel like I've been, been encouraged by them to keep going because they keep showing up. Um, and so I therefore feel like I have to keep showing up and keep trying hard and not give up. But it's been hard. There's some days I don't want to Zoom, yeah. you know. It takes a lot of time to come up with, you know, try to get these connections or like plan or have the pre-interview or, you know, even when I try to teach a lesson, it takes, you know, it's draining and I feel like it's so emotionally draining yeah. for me. 
and for my students. And I think that is one underlying factor that I know our district is very progressive and is and knows the value is the social, emotional understanding and learning and education is the most powerful tool. If we as teachers, parents, school district, the board can all get on the same page and maybe perhaps more training of how important that component is, I feel like we can better serve all students. And I know the school district is going with that mentality, but a program, a program isn't the fix. And sometimes I've noticed there's a lot of programs. When we have a problem, we're thinking, let's bring in a program. You know how many programs I've seen? You know, and I think it's, they mean well, but I think that the basic underlying is that importance of the social, emotional awareness and education. Because the program's not going to fix it if there's such a deeper, um, you know. There, there are people who say, teach them math teach them science, teach them English, social, uh, emotional needs. That's getting into the gray area. And right. who, what really is that? And how do you teach that? And there are parents who feel as though my kid gets that elsewhere at home. Right. They go to school so they can learn the core subjects. What would you say to those skeptics who say the schools are putting too much weight these days we're going in the wrong direction in terms of trying to tend to the emotional sort of condition of the student or the child. What would you say to them to help them understand the world as you see it? Wow, that's difficult. I don't know how to respond, but I think my best answer would be it is so important. And although I know there's so many amazing parents doing amazing things and teaching their students these valuable lessons of, of emotional intelligence and expressing your feelings and learning how to work through issues or problems and growth and all of these things we hope is coming from home. As a teacher, I'll tell you, there's a lot of students that need this because it's not coming from home and we need to serve those students too. I think that is really, really important. And just the value of listening to our students and this is something I'm working on. I always try to, so you have like your hook story close. Like that's how I think. I'm like, okay, you gotta hook them. So some interesting quote or something that they're like, oh, this is, could be interesting. Doesn't matter what I'm about to teach. And you have your story, which is like your lesson, right? And you're teaching maybe in some interesting stories. And then the close, the big ask, like, you know, in the corporate world or in a business world, that's the sell. And if my sell to a student is that assignment or you know the piece of writing I'm asking for or the project. If I didn't hook them or convince them in my story that that was important to do, they're not gonna do it. <laughs> and so I think just being really strategic and it's something I continue to work on just this week what I'm going to do is so last week, one of my Google form anonymous surveys, I asked my students, what has been the most difficult thing for you? Not just in my class, just as a student in all your classes. What keeps you from not interacting, not engaging in this uncomfortable new setting? And a lot of them said their low self-esteem. And it was really, um, I was so proud that they said that and it was anonymous, And but about 70% said that. And so I reflected. And so this week I'm doing this ABC affirmations where they're going to write, you know, the ABCs basically in a positive word. So 
A, I'm awesome, B, I'm bold, whatever it is they choose. So I hope that they have this whole alphabet of positive affirmations. So to help build their self-esteem, perhaps over summer they can look at it or what have you. Um, but how I'm gonna start my lesson is by saying, I read your feedback from last week and I, I just found it so valuable um, that you were all able to share. The majority of all the students I surveyed thought that they should work on their self-esteem. So I'm just gonna hook them and make it feel like it was their idea, because it was. So, so thank you so much. So this is the activity we're gonna do. Uh, I thought it was a great idea. I, I definitely think self-esteem is important, but like make them feel like I'm doing this lesson for them, right? And so that's kind of like a little psychology, you know, but it's like, I wanted to teach this to them, but it's fine if they think it was their idea, if they're gonna do it. So I'm gonna hook them with that, like make them feel like, listen, I listened to what you said, that was a great idea, here's what I'm gonna do. So I try to get their pain point, and then my lesson is like the solution to what they told me they thought they needed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to find strategic, you know, ways using like what I've learned about psychology or from the business world to get that big, you know, that sell at the end, my assignment. I don't know, I just try to be creative. I don't know what I'm doing any day, but I know that I care. I know that I see myself as a student and I just keep trying. Um, I have, I can't say I've been a great remote teacher. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not a remote teacher. This is my first time ever. So I look forward to trainings to help me become better besides the one I've taken on my own, um, just on my own time. But if we go back in the fall, I definitely need more help because you can like watch all the Zoom webinars for education and I've taken other classes, invested my own money to take and there's only so much you can do where I truly hope the school district and I know they're working on it will like listen to feedback from students, from teachers and hopefully provide us something to do better because I can't be the only teacher feeling like, and I know I'm not, wow, this is hard, I have no idea what to do, like let's learn from each other. You seem to have a kind of a mastery of education and how to deliver instruction to your students and you're super creative. But that kind of like belies your own experience because you had said that you um, dropped out of high school, right? You know, and so can you tell me about what it was like for you to be a student? Because you seem to me, you seem like the kind of student who would be sitting in the front row, constantly raising their hand, constantly talking, constantly <laughs> asking questions. And in some ways, the kind of student that a teacher really likes. Uh, what was so challenging for you when you were going through the school system? Yeah, that's a great question. I wasn't that student. I was the quiet student in the back that was thinking, just give me the test. Oh. And please don't pair me up with that student that needs help again. I was always that student. Like I can remember since I was in kindergarten, the teacher always paired me up with like a student who needed help. And I was always like, I don't want to do this. Like, Not that I didn't want to help people, but... I truly never felt like, there was a couple of amazing teachers that I had, Miss Heidel. I remember we did plays and acted out things and I remember Miss Need, she was my PE teacher and coach and I remember those little things she did, write us notes before our games and she made it fun and I always just remember how I felt in those classes. I felt happy, I felt excited because they were excited and when teachers aren't passionate about what they're teaching, it is so easily transferred that vibe to the student and so I can recall the two or three teachers who were passionate you know and they loved what they were teaching and that alone got me interested and if this story <laughs> so in when I was taking um, K 
can't remember how old I was. I was at the community college and I had to take a lab, a science lab. So I signed up for geology. And I went into that class thinking, this is gonna be so boring, like geology. I don't know, I have the lab, I have to like check the box. And the teacher came in, I'll never forget her. She was so excited about these rocks. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, this lady is like, she's lost her mind with the excitement she has for her rocks. All the different kinds of rocks and we had to learn every type and she brought in ice cream to show us how like this ice cream looks like this rock. I mean, she was into these rocks and I got so into the rocks too. I think not because I liked the rocks. I was just like, she's excited. So there must be something to these rocks. Mm -hmm. And she took us out to see the rocks. I mean, she was all about these rocks and geology and all the different things she taught us, but she was so passionate. And I remember thinking, I might be a geologist. Like I came into this class thinking this was a joke and I had to check a box. And I think now I might go into this. I didn't because it wasn't a true passion, but for a moment she made me a believer in how cool this could be. And so that was just such an interesting experience. Like if this woman was so passionate about her rocks, like maybe that passion, you know, I have to really be aware of what I'm teaching and make sure that I am passionate about. And I've been lucky enough to teach things that I'm so passionate about health love health. I got to teach high school health for a while and junior high health and I love it so I could get into it. Uh, I still talk to my students who I who I taught and it is rewarding because I actually had a call with a student. She's now in college and she goes to Channel Islands where I went and Jackie she goes I'm studying nursing. I thought that's so awesome and she goes and I think it's because you thought health was so cool and I was like oh oh cool and she's like yeah, no, really, remember when we were freshmen and I taught Avid over at San Marcos and I and brought in this whole health program and I thought it was so cool and I, I remember I got to stay really excited because there's no way, I had the kids working out, I'm like, there's no way they're gonna wanna do any of this. And she goes, so the reason I applied for the health academy at San Marcos was because I was so confused of why you thought health was so exciting. Um, but I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. And so she goes, so that's why I applied and she got in and here she is. She's gonna become a nurse. And so I don't share that to say like, oh, I'm great, I made her go into nursing, but it was just kind of like a special moment in flashback that like, wow, maybe like that passion that like that teacher about her rocks, like if there's even one student, like I spoke with Jackie last week that got excited or interested of something because I'm excited and then that's cool. Like mm -hmm. that's why I love teaching. Why did you sit in the back? Were you bored or were you just like, you got everything so quickly that nothing was working for you in the classroom? No, I was just self-conscious. And so I felt like, you know, I feel like just like everyone else, like, you know, you're insecure, you're young, and I didn't want anyone to judge me. I felt safe back there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, not because I was, thought I was the smartest or didn't want to be, I was just insecure. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't want the teacher to call on me. I didn't want any of that. So I felt like if I just sit back here, no one will bug me. So was it your trip to Mexico that changed that or this was something that happened later. That changed what? That made you more outgoing and somebody who's willing to, you know, sort of share what you know with other people. Yeah, so I think that's nice that I'm, people do sometimes say I'm outgoing. I see myself as an introvert or I feel like a bit introverted, but I think when I get excited, like when I'm in my zone, like if I'm in the classroom and teaching health or PE, People maybe think I'm an extrovert or like outgoing, but I'm really not, I'm a homebody. I'm not huge like social scene or anything. My whole life I like to be with my family, you know, my brothers, I, I didn't really like to go to my friends' houses too much. I mean, sometimes, but I was a homebody and I, and I still am not active. I just got my first social media, like Instagram during COVID. 
And that was like a huge step for me because no one in my family is active. My, my family is very private. One of my brothers is on social media. The others aren't. They're kind of off the grid. So for me, this was like a big, okay, when I got my social media account on Instagram, I'm like, I'm just going to do it. Like, I don't know. It was scary. So I'm actually pretty introverted and a natural homebody. But thank you for thinking I'm outgoing. When, I, when I'm into something, like, I'm outgoing and I can talk to you forever about teaching health or I love ancient Latin American history. Like when I was 18, I, I didn't, I finally um, didn't need my parents like special approval so I could get a passport. So I, I left here, I went to Brazil and I backpacked all of South America and into Central America. And so we know when I'm into something, I go hard and I was by myself and that was cool when I was 18. Met so many amazing people from around the world, studied a lot of ancient um, ruins, all through all South America. And there were so many moments on that trip. I just, I, I always remember how lucky I am to have those freedoms. And I never forget it. Like I can remember being in Brazil and the Iguazu Falls going, whoa, like this is so cool. Like I'm so lucky. I'll never take that away. Like how lucky that I am to have these opportunities. Granted, I may have created it. I'm lucky that I was able to create, create that. And I'm so aware of the people in the world that don't have those same opportunities. Probably goes deep of like my dad, you know, coming here uh, and, and fleeing his country. So, so talk to me about that. Your, your parents um, are first generation here? Or? My mom is from here, from California. Yeah. My dad is from Slovakia. And so, you know, he tells us his story of like how he fleed the country when he was 12, when the Russians occupied and you know, communism and all that. And so, I just truly feel like my dad finding his way to Canada and meeting my mom. I never take for granted the opportunity to have freedom of speech. Not everyone has that. Like, I know I'm lucky to speak my mind. And I think that's why I'm so, I have no problem speaking my mind. And I need to learn maybe sometimes to not come across so like assertive or aggressive because I just get heated because if I'm passionate, but you know, we're lucky to have the freedom of speech. We're lucky that when I was 18, I could go travel around and, and learn about the world. Like, not everyone has these freedoms and opportunities and I don't take it for granted. You know, I really just don't take it for granted. You feel like you have a little bit of that pioneer blood in you from your, your father? Yeah, I think I do. And he was always my biggest cheerleader. Like, if I'm like, dad, I'm gonna do this, you know, all right, awesome. Like, he's my number one fan, like to this day. I'm like, okay, dad, I'm doing this. Awesome, you know, it's like anytime I achieve something, he's like there, like never missed a soccer game, like never, you know, he was always just physical presence, my mom too, but I think that has helped me like being a parent because just his physical presence and I think that is so important as, as a parent, like to, and as a teacher, I learned from my students how to parent because anytime after the weekend or after a holiday and I'm talking to my students, hey, how was your weekend, what'd you do? The kids are always most excited to tell me what they did, whether it was fishing, whether it was they went and had a picnic. It didn't cost any money. They were way more excited to tell me the times that they just spent with their parents or guardians or, or siblings than the students who got a new t-shirt or the new iPhone or the new shoes. They really didn't talk about that. You know, they were wearing it. It, it made them feel good. But when I asked them how things are going, they always wanted to share just those moments of time and presence with their family and I'm very blessed that my dad and my parents were both always there just the physical presence you know means a lot and so I take learning like how my parents what they did for me and the opportunities they afforded me 
I don't take it for granted. Like, I know I'm so incredibly lucky. Yeah, there are a lot of critics. There are a lot of haters in this world, social media. Mm-hmm. There's a, lots of opportunity today to be negative without any accountability because you can right. just sort of put it out there and be invisible. And you're maybe you're not an extrovert, but you do seem to have a lot of confidence. And it seems as though a lot of that came from your supportive household growing up. What would you say, like, what advice would you give to young people, uh, you know, uh, boys and girls, men and women who maybe have had someone in their life tell them, no, you can't do that, or have made them feel stifled or inhibited in some way in trying to pursue their dreams? What would you say to them to help them understand or overcome a negative influence in their lives? Yeah, I my best advice to my students is, for me it was, I had that my parents, I had my dad, I had my brother, never made me feel less than. I can remember my dad telling me like, you would look, if I was questioning something I was wearing, like, you look fine, you look great in a potato sack. So it always stuck with me. And I need to ask my dad if he remembers saying that because he said that multiple times. And so that gave me this increased self-confidence like, my dad thinks I'd look good in a potato sack. Like, of course this dress is me, you know? And so, but I do realize not everybody has my dad. Not everyone has my brothers who, who always accepted me as equal. And I always tell my students and my guest speakers have done a wonderful job sharing that one teacher, that uncle, that aunt, maybe it was a parent. I, I always tell my students, just keep seeking a mentor. Find somebody who will cheer you on and put you in check. Cause my dad would be the first to be like, uh-uh, like he would check me, which I mean, we all need somebody to check us when we get out of line, but I, I appreciate that. But I always tell my students, find somebody, whether it be a teacher, you know, an aunt or uncle, whoever, to be a cheerleader and be a mentor. Having a mentor will take you far and just always pursuing and looking for people. You know, I tell my students, if you want to get into whatever academy in the high school, or if you want to join the soccer team, are you surrounding yourself with those people? Are you reaching out? Are you asking them, hey, how'd you get there? You know, I tell them stories of like, I truly believe, I always try to surround myself with people. I feel like you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. It's all about proximity. And so, like I mentioned before, I'm a self-learner. I still, I've taken four, I love courses, right? I just took a course on how to build a course because I was interested in building a health course. And so in that course, Josh, The first day was obviously online. We were getting this introduction. I was in the chat. Hey, anyone want to do a small group? Anyone want to do a small group? Because in my head, I'm like, I know I don't have time for this course. I got to learn from other people. So I kid you not, I have about five people email me back. And I just made this group. And we had a Zoom. This was like a month, five weeks, six weeks ago we met. Made the Zoom randomly. I just put in the chat. Hey, who wants to work through a small group? You know, And guess who I got to meet? Now my friends, Major Cobbin, okay, she replied that yes, Dr. Lulu, she's a suicide prevention specialist. I mean, that was just me popping in the chat, hey, who wants to work through the course? Now we have weekly calls, weekly Zooms. I am the like, I don't, I don't wanna like bring myself down, but like sometimes like, huh, I'm the dumbest one in this room. This is awesome. I'm surrounded by these amazing, inspiring women. But I, you know, I, all I did was pop in the chat, hey, who wants to work through the course? And here I am, I just surrounded myself by these mentors. Mm-hmm. You know, I always look for mentors because I always want to learn, you know. So at the district, we have amazing leaders and I can't wait to see who comes as a superintendent. Mm-hmm. I've always admired Sean Carey. Oh man, she's such a 
innovator, visionary, Fran at the district, all the assistant superintendents, they're, they're such leaders. And I also love that they're women because I'm all about that, you know, more women. Now that I have two daughters, I can be like, look, you see these women, they're in power and this is amazing. And so I constantly just try to surround myself with mentors because I want to keep learning and I love the way they lead. You know, I see how Sean Carey leads and speaks and, you know, I want to learn from that. I see how Fran, she's a visionary. She has so many ideas and I want to learn from that. Like, I don't want to be them. I want to be the best version of me. Uh, but I know I have so much to learn from leaders like them. So as we wrap up, looking ahead, okay, mm-hmm. so we're about the end of the, the year, the school year, and then we're going to be coming up very quickly on the new school year with the possibility of remote learning continuing either 100% or some percentage, part-time. Looking ahead, what, what advice would you have to share with other teachers who uh, might be struggling with how to teach their students. What are you excited about? And you know, how are you gonna approach the new school year? Right, I feel like my best advice to teachers is I really have none. I, I love to collaborate and share what I've tried, but I'm more interested in just hearing and learning from other teachers. And that's why I'm trying to create these opportunities and hold workshops to learn about what are, hey, what are you doing? Like, I especially see this as such a huge opportunity to connect with teachers from around the country. from We're all doing this around the country, around the world. Like I just wanna learn from others what's going well. Yes, have I tried stuff? It's going well, I think, I don't know. I, I still, I'm just gonna be doing a lot of thinking over the summer and like reviewing what my students have shared. I, I have nothing, I really don't know. I'm just struggling along like everyone else and I think the most valuable thing for me is just to continue to check myself and realize I've never done this. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I can learn from others. And like, let's just collaborate and be creative and look at this as an opportunity and be real. We have no idea what we're doing. We're not remote teachers. We just became them overnight. Mm -hmm. And so I'm open to learning from others and I look forward to opportunities to learn how to do this (laughs) besides the ones I've just like learned on the internet or whatever free webinars I could find or what have you. But I I have no advice. I, I don't know how to do this either. Well, thank you, Jennifer. It's been my pleasure. I feel like we could talk for a long time or do sort of like a series on education. But Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity.